This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted that you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Corbin Tilleman-Dick. He's the founder and CEO of Maybell Quantum Industries. Before launching Maybell, Quantum was a partner at the Boston Consulting Group, where he led quantum computing efforts and the company's software-as-a-service startup program. He worked with leading quantum computing technology companies from a wide range of quantum-relevant industries, including financial services, energy, pharmaceutical, manufacturing, and automotive. Corbin holds numerous patents and has earned technology, business, and innovation awards from NASA, MIT, ConocoPhillips, Dow Chemical, Johns Hopkins, and others. His company, Maybell Quantum Industries, is a venture-backed startup focused on designing and manufacturing the enabling hardware that makes quantum technologies possible. Maybell builds the infrastructure for quantum. Their mission is to deliver the world's best tools to solve the toughest quantum challenges, offering solutions that are more accessible, reliable, and affordable, while building a workforce and supply chain that advances U.S. quantum leadership. Mabel Hardware is made in America. The company's headquarters are at the foot of the Rocky Mountains in Denver, Colorado. We're going to talk more about that. So welcome, Corbin, and thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. So, Corbin, I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. My objective is twofold, certainly to give our audience a sense of what you did before you founded Maybell, but also to orient listeners to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So please share with our listeners you know, a bit about your background and your path so far, like where you grew up where you went to school, what you studied, uh, any insight into the companies, BCG or others, uh, where you worked and the kinds of work that you did. You know, Chris, I've listened to the podcast for a long time. And before listening to the podcast, I felt like I had a really unusual background for quantum. And now after you know, listening for the past many months, I've realized that everybody has an unusual background for quantum. And yes. it's kind of the, the benefit of being right at the beginning of such an important industry. But me personally, um, I grew up in Denver, the middle child in a family of 11, studied mechanical engineering at the Air Force Academy. And while there, um, I actually launched my first startup working on a novel form of internal combustion engine that I, that I invented. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was exciting. It was great. You know, we started getting some interesting results, started getting some investors really excited. And I went and told my commanding officer about it. And he agreed that it was incredibly exciting and then looked me in the eyes and told me that it was an absolutely horrible idea to pursue this <laughs> while in the Air Force. Nice. And, yeah. And he was totally right. And I, I transferred to Johns Hopkins, finished school there and ran my company throughout undergrad. And, you know, this was from 2005 to 2010-ish, and I saw my engine as a bridge to a clean energy future. And in that time, you know, we saw Tesla go from a toy for Menlo Park millionaires to a real company making real cars, and it became clear that we didn't really need a bridge to the clean energy future, that electrification was coming 
quickly. And so although we'd met our technical milestones and still had investor interest, I decided to wind down that company and I joined the Boston Consulting Group. I spent 10 years there, made partner eventually, and as you mentioned, had the opportunity to lead quantum work while at BCG. And after a few years working around some of kind of the true luminaries in quantum, the scientists at the the bleeding edge of quantum for the biggest and most important companies at the time in quantum, I came to believe that quantum is going to be as important to the next 60 years of technology as the integrated circuit was to the last 60. And I didn't want to be on the outside looking in. So I I made the leap. I left BCG in April 2021 and founded Maybell with my my co-founders, one from a financial technology firm and hedge fund and one from MIT. Um, And and that's where we are now a year in out of stealth and, and getting ready to ship product. Wow, what a great story. Thank you for sharing that. And delighted to hear that, uh, you know, one of the insights from this podcast series is that, yeah, it's everyone comes from somewhere to get into this space. And that's what partly what makes it so exciting and interesting, right? All different Absolutely. backgrounds and perspectives. So at the risk of being tangential or frivolous, I just want to ask you about the name Maybell. So where, where did that come from? How did you guys come up with that for the, for the name of the company? Yeah, so so we are focused on cryogenics for quantum today, and and Maybell is the coldest town in Colorado, one of the coldest in the country, and it seemed fitting in that way. But I also just used to camp around there a lot growing up, and always liked the place. It's beautiful, it's clean, it's it's uh, one of my favorite places to go. Beyond that, it's also very much a nod to Bell Labs. We believe that this quantum revolution will require the same type of industrial investment in innovation that Bell Labs and others made during the last real technical revolution. Hmm. And the name reminds us of that legacy and, and the importance to to follow that model. As you referenced, so Mabel's focus seems to be on cryogenics and cryogenic wiring. So how did you decide to focus on that segment, given all the different you know modalities and ways of building a qubit? Yeah, you know, there are a lot of ways to build a qubit, but today over 90% of all of the investment into quantum has gone towards technologies that require sub-Kelvin cryogenics in the form of dilution refrigerators. So for some of the players, it's obvious, you know, Google, IBM, Rigetti with their superconducting qubits, um, of course, those are running in fridges, but you even have players like you know Xanadu, who they have these amazing squeezed photon room temperature qubits and uh, that room temperature piece of it gets a fair amount of of press, but yeah. they're still doing their photonic readout at sub-Kelvin in a dilution refrigerator. And so it's it's hard to do quantum without a place that reduces the quantum noise to tolerable levels. And dilution refrigerators are the predominant solution to get close to that quantum silence. There's, there's another piece here, though, which is that the industry for dilution refrigerators just hasn't seen much innovation since really the 80s, since they were first invented. I mean, there was a transition from wet systems to dry systems in the early 2000s. But other than that, the fridges today look largely indistinguishable from the ones used for early experiments around, you know, superfluid helium-3, where the only goal of the fridge was to show that you could get cold. Um <laughs> I, I knew that this was an area really ripe for innovation and disruption. And, you know, after talking to folks at some of the the biggest quantum players out there and, and hearing them describe how you know, 
each each player believes that they have the best qubits, right? And I, I have right. no way of knowing who's right and who's wrong amongst them. But each of them was also pretty quick to talk about the fact that the the supply chain for the hardware they need to make their qubits work um, was was broken. And several of them pointed me towards Kyle Thompson at MIT as uh, one of the few people on earth who could really be a, a co-founder here. I got maybe five sentences into describing what I wanted to do. Cold called him, uh, tracked him down on, on LinkedIn and sent him a note and set up a call. About five sentences in, he interrupts me and says, Corbin, I've wanted to build this company for the past decade. And <laughs> within, within a little more than a month, he'd left MIT and we had you know, started focusing on on Maybell with, with a focus on innovations that make quantum research easier for the quantum physicists trying to, to move this industry forward. Really? What a terrific story. My goodness. Wow. Five sentences in, he's bailing on MIT to start a company with you. That's pretty impressive, man. Just saying. Right. So let's let's talk about um, your offering. So what you guys came up with. So Maybell's dilution refrigerator is called the Icebox. And I read that it condenses a room-sized cryogenic setup into a system slightly larger than a kitchen fridge and is able to cool quantum devices to just a few thousandths of a degree above absolute zero. And I remember you and I have been preparing for this mentioned, and it has a door, Imagine, yeah. a fridge with a door. So how did you manage to do all that? Yeah, so so you're absolutely right. Today's dilution refrigerators are huge, they're expensive, they're hard to use, and they are not scalable for the future of quantum. Typically, they're, they require a few hundred square feet of specialized laboratory environment, and you either pay a lot of money for an installation team to come out and put it together for you, or you buy it as a kit that some PhD student spends a couple months putting together. And then your same grad student has the honor of constantly monitoring the fridge, making sure nothing goes wrong, servicing it every couple of weeks with liquid nitrogen top-offs, and taking it apart again anytime you want to do anything new in the fridge, right? right. The icebox is a revolutionary change to what a dilution refrigerator is. It's two standard 19-inch racks that are sized to wheel through a door and get plugged into any any environment that can take a server can take an icebox. They offer better performance, better experimental capacity, better reliability, and more uptime than any other system on the market. Um, in fact, the fridge can fit four times more, more wires, more qubits ultimately than the biggest fridges out there today and 10 times more than kind of the standard competing systems. And we do it in 10 times less space. Now, some of what we've done reflects cutting edge science. You know, we have an improved thermalization layout that lets you get a lot more cooling power out of your four Kelvin system, which you know lets you transition more of your superconducting wires and niobium titanium that kind of forms the backbone of the system past their superconducting transition. Um, but and, and things like, you know, we have next generation heat exchangers that are more efficient, use less helium three. But a lot of what we did is just logical engineering that came from listening to our customers, watching how they interact with their fridges and designing the icebox to make their lives easier. It's silly, but you're right. It shouldn't have taken 50 years for somebody to put a door on something that was already called a refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. It shouldn't have taken 50 years for somebody to realize that it's easier to work outside your fridge and then insert your sample rather than to work under your fridge and solder things in place there. Um, 
And so we've designed a way to, you know, insert an entire sample, even huge samples, you know, thousands of wires from 300 Kelvin all the way to the sample chamber all at once. It shouldn't have taken 50 years to design a fridge that lets you have an experiment run in it for months or years with no downtime, no service, no user interaction. But, but it did, and we were the first ones to do that. There are a lot of improvements that we've made to increase reliability, to reduce turnaround times, to increase performance, and so on. But what they grow out of is this being the first time since you know, the, the 70s or 80s that somebody has taken a clean sheet approach to building a dill fridge and designing it for the future of quantum. Yeah, terrific. So I want to talk about uh, maybe a flex line. So one of the challenges, obviously, for scaling quantum systems is a number of wires required in this kind of environment for qubit control and communication. And obviously, this becomes more and more of a problem as we add more and more qubits. So um, tell our listeners about your high-density wiring solution called Maybell Flex Lines. How did you develop these, and certainly what are the advantages over the current approach to wiring that's associated with dilution refrigerators? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because it really is a critical element of what we've brought to the table is our flex lines. Right now, wiring and components are almost as large a barrier to increase increasing qubit counts as the processor design itself. In most systems, you need four or five wires per qubit for control, power, and communication. And each of those wires typically has a footprint of more than half an inch squared. So when you need that much space per wire, you pretty quickly run out of fridge. And they also, you know, they're stiff, they're heavy, they have a large thermal load associated with them. We knew when we set about to build the icebox that if we wanted to support the future of quantum, we could either make huge fridges, you know, these, these mega fridges, or make smaller wires. And so we've worked with university partners to develop our flex lines, which are a line of ultra high density ribbon cables for quantum applications, including you know, kind of poor conductors for 300 Kelvin down to nine Kelvin, you know, phosphor bronze, that sort of thing, and niobium titanium uh, for nine Kelvin through the qubit. And it really does offer the best of all worlds. Unlike other flexible cryogenic cables, they're made with three-dimensional materials and classic manufacturing techniques, not deposition or sputtering. So they're really robust. And every individual trace behaves almost exactly like a semi-rigid coax, the wires that everyone's used to in their fridge. But they're much lower footprint, much lower heat load, much less expensive to manufacture and much, much softer, which if you're running an experiment that cares about vibration, then the stiffness of the semi-rigid coax can actually be a major source of vibration transmission to the qubits. It's been an important step forward. And one of the things that we've done with the wire design also is make sure that we're working hand in hand with component manufacturers, you know, the folks making circulators, filters, amplifiers, attenuators, all of those components. So that while our wires, you know, if if the wire was the only limiting factor, we could pretty easily fit over 10,000 traces in the fridge. Um, and that's truly unprecedented. There's nothing close to that um, on, on the market today or even on the roadmap for many of our competitors in terms of what they've published. Um, but what we've done instead is recognize that that right now you can get attenuators down to a certain size let's make sure our wires match the best attenuators circulators filters out there and that as we work with those partners to shrink their components and to streamline their components um our our wires are kind of future ready as we move towards wanting you know thousands and ultimately millions of qubits in in a fridge or a network of fridges 
That's a very exciting breakthrough. Congrats on that. Wow. Let's talk software for a minute. So the, the perennial question around sort of APIs, SDKs, libraries, and languages. Um, I read that you've also developed an open source software package that enables industry-leading security as well as streamlined integration of programs, including ones developed, say, within an organization or by the broader quantum community. Can you tell me more about this? Is it based on common libraries or languages? Or you know, how does APIs and SDKs, how are they made available for developers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the goal with our software is cooling down a dilution refrigerator shouldn't be an event, right? And our software makes it boring in the best possible way. All our software does is control the fridge. It's not about controlling qubits. It's pretty straightforward hmm. uh, software, but it's clean, it's open source, and it gets the fridge cold without you having to do much while simultaneously giving you the option for granular control to the extent you want it. It also makes sure that you have APIs and logs that are accessible and available and easy to integrate with um, to allow you to engage with or on top of our software, however best suits the needs of your team. So yeah, I mean, it's it's Python, not LabVIEW, designed so you can either run it air-gapped for installations that require you know, that, that extraordinary level of security or have it on a secure cloud that you know, will send a text message to your team for any event that you identify as important. Mm -hmm. And uh, the goal, as with the rest of the fridge, is to make it so that you're spending as little time as possible frustrated by your hardware and as much time as possible focused on driving quantum innovation. We've come to the perennial question. I used to call it the $64,000 question, but I found many of my guests were too young to remember that 50s TV <laughs> show. So anyway, we'll call it perennial as a qualifier for now. But clients, right? So can you tell us about people using your systems, other labs or private sector companies or government organizations that are currently using the icebox or exploring using the icebox? Yeah, uh, lots are exploring it. We came out of stealth at APS March meeting this year and have been overwhelmed by how positive the response has been. We'll Great. be shipping our first systems to customers late this year. Um, and before that, we have time scheduled for a bunch of our commercial customers, especially, to come and install devices into the system and run them in our lab for a while so they can get used to the fridge, get used to interacting with it, understand how big the transformation is and how positive the transformation is from the fridges that they're used to to working with an icebox and with how things are progressing um, by by next year we're going to be you know, a, a major player in the space in terms of shipped fridges we we have a really uh, surprisingly and gratifyingly healthy pipeline right now and to that end, if there are folks listening who are interested in coming and trying out the fridge, they can reach out to me and we'll try to get you scheduled sometime between you know, now and when we can actually ship you a system. Right now we're shipping in about six months. Our, our fridges are really designed to be uh, efficiently manufactured, which is, which is helpful for us. Um, so we also have you know, the Maybell Fellow Program for academic institutions and a mm -hmm. quantum hardware accelerator for early stage startups. So lots of ways to get hard wear into the hands of quantum scientists and um, lots of folks kind of interacting with it today and, and starting to see the, the benefits of the icebox. Let's talk about geography. There's, as we all know, there's a lot going on in your part of the world around quantum, right? So um, I know that you work closely with a range of organizations, including Colquanta, NIST, Jilla, Continuum. Um, tell me about the quantum interaction going on at the front range in Colorado out there. 
Yeah, it's really exciting. You know, there there isn't yet a Silicon Valley of quantum, and there's no reason that it has to be in Silicon Valley. Um, it's it's a different group of people who are going to drive this next quantum revolution. Yeah. And we have certainly a, a critical mass here in Colorado of people who are investing heavily in this and and making the future happen. And so whether it be you know collaboration uh, through CU's Qubit program or through um, you know some some federal programs that are just getting stood up, I'm not sure if they're publicly announced yet. Um, there there really is a remarkable ecosystem here on the front range right now uh, in Colorado that that I think is going to be one of the centers of quantum over the next many decades. Yeah, very exciting. What a beautiful part of the world, too, to be doing yeah, that. Yeah, it is. It's it's the best place to live. I absolutely love it here. <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty cool. I was just there for the QEDC plenary. We went up to Boulder and visited Form Factor and um, beautiful part of the world. I uh, want to give you a chance to share any recent news. So maybe other executive hires or new product launches planned or additional funding rounds on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, things are moving incredibly quickly. We came out of stealth in March. We are constantly hiring at all levels. Um, we've had a lot of success since March meeting. And in order to kind of build on that momentum, we are doing a fundraising round right now to increase our production capacity, expand kind of manufacturing capabilities, and continue our aggressive investment in uh, R&D. So things are going incredibly well, and we're eager to, to build on that momentum with smart investments. And executive hires, I mean, you mentioned them, other people, it seems like it's a quite a burgeoning field, obviously, and that many talented, interesting people are looking to get involved in this space. Any names you want to share or uh, you on the spot? I don't but, know if uh, I should share their names yet. Uh, so we, we have a couple of folks who are going to be announced, but some of them are at you know various stages of you know, visa approvals and things like that. So I'm, I'm going to hold off on announcing the names, but okay. um, some, some very exciting hires in, in the next you know, weeks and months that are going to be announced. Great. We'll alert our listeners to keep their ears peeled for latest news. The segue is around a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is workforce, right? So want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like Maybell, say, in finding talent, any insight in how you go about recruiting for your company. I'm finding many of my guests have affiliations with universities. Certainly you've got Colorado School of Mines and CU come to mind, but how's that working? What's your sort of strategy and approach to that? Yeah, our team is a little bit different than many because where, yes, we have some brilliant physicists and the team has a bunch of folks from MIT, CU, Mines, we also need you know, welders and technicians, folks to actually yeah. build the systems. We are yeah. as like, we are in many ways a more traditional industrial hardware company than anything else you'll see in quantum. And so we don't, we don't have formal affiliations with any of the universities around here, but we do clearly work really closely with them, team with them and hire from uh, both the universities and from NIST um, quite a bit. But, you know, the the nature of the company is that we're hiring from a broad pool for a whole bunch of different roles and that we're fortunate to be rapidly growing and, and an exciting quantum company. 
And so I get folks reaching out every day, regardless of what jobs we have posted, to see if they can find a way to join the team. And candidly, some of our best hires have come from cold calls, from people uh, sending me a note saying, this is what I do. I think you could use it. And we talk about it as a team, interview them, and they they join. Um, great. So, uh, I love yeah. that. I love that. What a great story. So again, follow on is, are there specific disciplines maybe that are harder to fill um, than others? You know, the, the hardest roles to fill are those that there are only a, pe- a few people on earth who can do it, right? There are probably yeah. certainly less than a dozen people on earth who can do what Kyle does, right? And yeah. and some of our upcoming hires are kind of singular resumes that there just aren't more than, you know, two or three people on earth who have that skill set. And anytime we're in that situation, they end up having offers from, you know, half right. a dozen or more quantum companies and it's, I think, the the nature of our company that, that makes us attractive to them at the end of the day. But we've also found sometimes that it's really hard to find a good welder, right? Thin wall stainless steel is is tough to weld. Yeah. And, and so it's, uh, there, there are a, a lot of different roles that we're hiring for and a lot of skill sets that we know we need that right now we're across the team making it work, but we would be very excited for somebody to reach out and say, you know, thin wall stainless is something I love. Um, let me, let me look into joining the team. We, we would have a good home for you. So, yeah. yeah, no, I think it's great. And back to your sort of earlier, I mean, comments at the beginning of our conversation, I mean, taking transferable skills and putting them in a new setting, right? I yes. mean, that's yeah, absolutely. Encourage people listening to reach for Corbin if you have skills that would be applicable in this new and evolving and emerging discipline, right? So we've come to the end. I want to ask you, Corbin, to look into your crystal ball. I like to give my guests a chance to share, say, their vision of where you think quantum computing might be in three to five, maybe even 10 years, and just your sort of chance to wax philosophic. What kind of impact do you think you know it will have on how we live and work? Yeah. I mean, that's why we're all doing this, right? I I guess I'll repeat what I said at the beginning of this conversation, that I I firmly believe quantum technologies is going to be as important to the next 60 years as the internet, the integrated circuit, and cellular have been to the last 60. And many of the people buying our fridges say that they see broad quantum advantage coming in the next three to five years. Um, They're a lot closer to the qubits than I am, and I, I hope they're right. But I think when we first start see, start seeing those advantages, they're going to be subtle. You know, we'll have new battery tech where core molecular research was done in a quantum computer, or maybe there will be a, a finance app that pings a quantum system to run a subroutine and a hybrid algorithm and provides faster and better insight because of it. But but whether it's three years, six years, 10 years, we're at the beginning of the most important and exciting technology revolution of, of my lifetime. You know, this is a future where personalized medicine will be a real thing, where we'll be able to turn back the clock on climate change, where we will be able to use quantum computers to model quantum systems and answer questions that are fundamentally unanswerable for classical systems. And just like somebody in the 50s or 60s trying to forecast the future of classical computing technology, uh, their biggest ideas would be dismissed as as naive and and subtle today. Um, 
you know, I, I think that's where we are with quantum. And and at Maybell, you know, we we like to feel that we're building the picks and shovels for the quantum gold rush and the the key infrastructure for the quantum data centers of tomorrow. And so regardless of timeline, you know, we're early in a journey that has the potential to fundamentally transform civilization for the better. And I'm incredibly excited about how Maybell is partnering with our customers to deliver that better future to the world. Well, thank you for sharing that perspective. Terrific. I, I totally agree. Yes. We've come to the end. I want to invite people to follow you and the company on LinkedIn. Uh, I want to point listeners to the website. It's uh, maybellquantum.com. Uh, you have a Twitter handle as well, at Maybell Quantum. And I've really enjoyed our conversation, Corbin. Thanks for taking the time to, to spend with me today. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thanks again, Corbin, for joining me today. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on your social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Corbin. And listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already. I want to also invite you to join us at our upcoming Inside Quantum Technology event focused on quantum cybersecurity. It's going to be taking place in New York City, October 25 through 27. You can learn more and register at iqtevent.com slash fall. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.